Good morning, everyone. A question for you this morning, not something you need to answer, but something to think about. Um, when a baby is born, what do they have to their own name? You know, many of us have been and seen newborns fresh from the oven, uh, naked, weak, sometimes a little grey or a lot grey, um, strange looking and really only capable of being able to make a need known that they're uncomfortable in those opening moments. They don't appear to have anything. But for all of their nakedness, a newborn actually has a great deal of blessings already. Though it differs from child to child, and I want to recognize that, many children are born into rich blessings Despite having nothing and contributed nothing as yet, we don't even know if they have an ounce of good character because they haven't proven it. They are already in possession of the incredible love and devotion of two other people, their parents. Two people that are willingly committed themselves and their lifetime to this newborn child. And how many children then are taken home for the first time to discover, though maybe unaware, that there is a place that has been prepared for them. A room that's been set aside, a space that's been cleared either next to mum, where they can rest, where they can grow. Drawers that have been set aside, filled with nappies and creams and clothing and toys, Things not just for today and the blessings that they fit into straight away, but even clothing and toys that they're going to grow into. Things that have been prepared for them, ready for them just to arrive on the scene. And more than a place in a building, this child has a place in a family and an inheritance. They are either sons or daughters or brothers or sisters or Nephews or nieces or grandchildren, they inherit from their families characteristics, traditions, tendencies, good and bad. Perhaps physical, like a deep voice or red hair or a single dimple. Maybe it's how the family pronounces a certain word like falafel or falafel. Maybe what the family does to be able to celebrate. How do they celebrate birthdays and Christmas? What do they find funny? The family that the child is born into, the blessings that they have received, shape who these children are going to become. So a baby, despite all of its nakedness, is not born with nothing, but is rich with blessings that have already been prepared for them, ready and waiting now and for the future. Blessings that will make them into who they become. Blessings that have been waiting just for them to arrive. And so it is with believers. We are not born on the day that we believe with nothing, but are richly blessed by a Heavenly Father with blessings that have already been prepared for us ready and waiting 
Blessings that have been at work in us already. Blessings for the now and for the future to come. From our reading this morning from Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, we have already heard of a number of these blessings. And Paul is really going through a list of what the believer has been given by God the Father through Jesus Christ. Seven things he lists. The first one, that you have been chosen to be one of his people. So that's one. He has predestined you for adoption to sonship. He has redeemed you, forgiven you. He has given you a knowledge of his will. He has given you an eternal inheritance and the spirit as a mark and a guarantee of that inheritance to come. Now, like a parent celebrating their child's first Christmas, the father hasn't given gifts sparingly but has been eager to give everything they possibly can to their children. Every spiritual blessing that is available in heaven has been poured out upon his children, believers, us. Nothing held back. Now, Job, if you remember and know the story, was a man of great wealth. He had a great deal of family, a great deal of property, and only in the first few chapters of the book of Job, he loses it all. And he says this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Job really is speaking about the things of the earth, the mortal trappings, the things that decay, and break and fade over time, but these are not the blessings of the Lord that we have received. These blessings are eternal in nature. They have no shelf life, no best before date. They don't fade or rust or decay or deplete. They are the blessings from heaven given from the Father to his children. And furthermore, they are blessings that change our very identity. When they are given, they become who we are. Can you imagine the power of being able to do something like that? To be able to give a fishing rod and make a fisherman. Or a golf club and make a golfer. If you gave somebody something and that's just what they become. God gives us these blessings and it changes who we are. They change our delights, our pleasures, our desires, our strength, our security and our certainty. Now, Paul is so caught up in the wonder of these blessings that he begins our passage this morning simply by praising God. And for a moment, he seems to really give up on grammar so caught up in praising God that he writes a 12 verse sentence that is divided in the English, but in, in Greek just continues to go on. And rightly so. Rightly so, for God is to be praised for his glorious grace in giving such amazing gifts to his children. This is just Paul's natural response, like the receiving a great birthday gift 
you can't help but sing the praises of the giver. Yet, like newborns that eventually grow into children and then into adults, we can grow dull to the wonder of the gifts that have been given. Dull to the magnitude of what it is that has been bestowed upon us and it makes our praise impotent. Have you ever taken the gifts that you have been given for granted? Have you ever been taken for granted when you've given a gift? And I think we know what we're talking about. I admit that in reading this list of blessings myself as I'm preparing for this message, my praise has lacked luster. There was little surprise when I first read it. There's no wonder. Or really, when I come to think about it, there was no understanding of the overwhelming aspects of what God has given us. I have a list of questions that I ask myself when preparing for a message. And this one stood out particularly as I prepared for this one. Consider your spiritual dullness to this topic. Consider your spiritual dullness to the blessings of God to his children. Paul here is caught up in praise for these blessings and he can't stop singing about them. Well, this week we begin a series of, uh, a short series, three weeks long of sermons speaking on this one verse, this one sentence from Paul of, called Overwhelmingly Blessed. And in it, we'll be looking at this, chap- this passage from Ephesians 1. And we'll focus on a couple of these blessings every week. And it's my prayer and my hope for both me and for you that God would open our hearts to the magnitude of what he has given us here. That we would no longer be dull, but able to naturally just give praise to the Lord. So before we go any further, after a long introduction, let's pray, not just for today, but for the series for one another, as we hear from the word of the Lord and pray that we are able to see him and praise. Let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we come before your word, Lord, and we know that this is where our truth is. Lord, that this is where our hope and our joy and our life, it all resides in here from you. Things that you have already done and given. And Lord, we know that we struggle at times, that we grow dull, that we forget, that our eyes don't see what is often so clear in front of us. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that your spirit would be at work this morning in everyone here and in the weeks to come over the weeks as we read this passage and consider you, Father, and your generosity, your grace to us. And it's sheer size, Lord, the way in which we've been blessed when we didn't deserve it. 
And Heavenly Father, that our eyes would be opened just a little more. Lord, to your glory. To how wonderful you are that we might praise with Paul. You, Lord, who are Father and God of Jesus Christ. Who have given us every blessing in heaven. May your hand be upon us and our time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a familiar reading from Isaiah 6. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called. And the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Can we even imagine what it would have been like for Isaiah to receive a vision like this? Of the Lord in glory. To stand before him. A vision where he can't describe the Lord with just one word, but has to mention holiness three times. And I'm sure that was still felt insufficient. So holy that Isaiah seems to just become undone in this vision. Woe is me. I don't think we can. If we did we would be in the same position, even here and now amongst the people, even in a Baptist church in the West, we would be emotional, be on our knees before the Lord. So aware of our estrangement from him, so aware of the hostility of our own minds and our own evil deeds so aware of how much we don't belong in front of him. But then we read this passage, this blessing from Ephesians 1. He, the Father, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before the Father. Now, who is worthy to be chosen by the thrice holy father, to stand before him and be pronounced as holy and blameless. Now, I'm not talking about what it means to deserve to be called holy and blameless, but who deserves to be chosen? The sheer honour of being chosen by him as someone that he desires to have in his presence and before him as someone that he wants in that sacred place. There is blessing 
in the choosing as someone that he wants to share his presence with, to be one of his holy people. And we've been shaped by this choice. I said before that the blessing of God shapes who we are, becomes our identity. And so it is with the blessing of God choosing us to come before him as holy and blameless. In Romans 3 verse 10 it says, There is none who is righteous, not even one. There is none who has understanding. There is none who even seek God. So in our natural state, away from God, we don't even want to be in his presence. Yet, unless I am even mistaken this morning, I stand in a room filled with people that would desire to be in his presence. That would eagerly pursue being called holy and blameless before him. That come every Sunday just to hear a little more. That joined in prayer just then to know a little more, to be a little less dull towards his glory. Eager to grow in a knowledge of who he is and what he has done. So how have we moved from not wanting to seek him at all to being a people that would heartily agree with a verse like Psalm 84 that we would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than live in the tents of wickedness? How did such a transformation occur? It couldn't have come from us. We wanted nothing to do with him. But he chose us to be a different kind of person, to be one of his people, to be holy and blameless before him. Now, the Father hasn't just chosen us, not only filled us with a wonder and a desire for him and his ways, but he's brought us into the fullness of what it means to be in his presence. Made his choice, making his choice and desire known, he also makes it real through Jesus. In Jesus, the Father's desires are brought to completion with nothing left to be done to them, nothing left to be changed. He chose us to be reconciled to him and Christ made it so by dying on the cross, by dealing with our sin, by reconciling us back to him, by paying the full price of that disobedience. Colossians 1.22 says that you who were once estranged and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you as holy and blameless before him. So we are chosen for blessing and then we are made capable of receiving it. And all of this was desired and planned for by God before creation. A blessing that has been made ready for the day that you would arrive Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But as is said in many late night commercials, wait, there's more. 
For as much as we resonate with scriptures like Psalm 84, where we'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord, he has made us and predestined us to so much more than that. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. Like the prodigal son, who after realising his mistake, considers it a blessing to even be in the father's house as a servant, he comes home and the father receives him not as a servant, but back into the fullness of his sonship, back into a full inheritance. J.I. Packer wrote in his book, Knowing God, that adoption to sonship is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, even higher than justification. Now, while justification, the justification of our sins, sees God as judge and him satisfied with us in the law's requirements, it is only in adoption that we see him, the Lord, as family. We see him as father and then us as children, his beloved children that he delights in pouring blessings upon. Only in our adoption is there a profound sense of closeness and affection that is shared between father and son. Our adoption, as Packer puts it, is one of the two great yardsticks by which we can measure God's love for us. The first is the cross. And the second is that we have been adopted into his family. 1 John chapter 3 starts with, See what love the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God. The blessing of a sonship is hard for us to appreciate. So used to fatherly relationships in our own lives that are often bound in conflict that's been born of sin, that's been born of disunity and a lack of love at times. It's difficult for us to see and wonder at a perfect father, at a father who is eternally wise and good in everything that he does and to be in unity with him, in his sonship. A relationship that is bound not in conflict, but only in love. But isn't this exactly what the text says, that it was in love that he predestined us? Even while we were considered estranged from him, he loved us. While the blessings of being chosen by God is full and complete already, like clothing that fits and is the right size now, being predestined to sonship is something that also lays in our future. We possess the blessing, there's no doubt about that. We can say we are the children of God, but the fullness of what that means is something we will grow into in time as we are continually transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. It is a relationship and an inheritance that will only grow richer. 
but it is guaranteed. It is predestined. It cannot be taken away. God has set our destiny and nothing that happens, no matter what, can take it away. It cannot be removed or shaken. We will be in the fullness of sonship and relationship with the Father. And we are left with the question, why? For both of these blessings, why? Why has God blessed us so abundantly? Why did he choose us? Why did he predestine us to sonship? Why lift us up to such incredible heights? Heights of his glory. Our passage says, because it was in accordance with the purpose of his pleasure and his will. He didn't have to. We certainly didn't deserve it. But he wanted to. Because he loved. Later on in Ephesians, Paul will speak to the church about what it means to live as God's chosen holy people. What, in, what it means to live as people that are adopted, that have been chosen, because it does change who we are in the now, not just in the future. It changes the way we live. But so often the case, we get caught up in the work that we must do or the changes that need to happen, that we forget the grace that was the beginning of it all, the blessings that we have received. Well, here in these verses, this week and in the weeks to come, Paul speaks only of the blessings that we have received in grace. Things that have been delivered to us through our unity in Christ and not by anything that we have done. Then and only then, once the Ephesians have been grounded in a knowledge of what God has done for them and who they are now because of him, does Paul start speaking about what that looks like in life. This way, their motivation, their response to this is not to earn anything, but simply to abide in what has already been given. We are not holy in order to be chosen by God. We are chosen by God, and so we are holy. All of our desire to be obedient is grounded not in attaining the future goals, such as being one of God's people, but in the past, where he has already chosen us. I realise I've even in that past, that last paragraph, said the same thing three times. But I did it because it's so important. Because it's so important to know how to live in the freedom of the gospel, to delight and praise the Lord for what he has done. Now, how often do we hear that inner voice that criticizes us, that sneaks up on us when we're least expecting it? that we are not good enough. How much of our motivation to change or even to pursue God and his ways come from a sense of needing to achieve, 
to achieve value in either his eyes or in the world? How many of us are rocked when we fail at something or receive criticism or somebody else, we see somebody else that's better at something than we are? And our security is moved because we are secure in our performance so often. But these blessings aren't given to us because you were good enough. We weren't. They were given because it was his pleasure and his will to bless the ones that he loved. Just like the baby that we spoke of in the beginning. You were born into blessings that the Lord has already, that has had ready for you since before the world was even created waiting to shower them upon you. Now, my son this week was told the good news that he was having pizza for breakfast. And he started to jump up and down. And then he stopped and he turned to my wife, Catherine, and said, oh, I accidentally started jumping. And then he continued to start, continued to jump. He was filled with joy. I pray this morning that you have seen something of God and what he has given to us that has led you to accidentally start jumping. To start jumping and praising and giving wonder and awe to the kindness and the grace and the love of a father to his children. To know who you are in his eyes. I pray that that is where we are and that where we will continue to grow. Not just today, not even in the next three weeks, but actually just for the rest of our lives and on into eternity. This is the place we will dwell before the Father, where his goodness continues to wash over us forever. And the praise will not end and we will not grow dull there'll be a a day where the scales fully fall from our eyes and we are able to stand before the lord and comprehend the well we have eternity to gaze upon the fullness of the lord i don't think we'll comprehend him i think we'll just be amazed all the time it's what will keep us occupied forever Let's pray. Um, Now, as I pray, I'm going to actually read the prayer that Paul has for the Ephesian church following our passage, knowing that it applies just as much to us as it did to them. Let's close our eyes. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? 
and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for this church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that even, even as we leave, Lord, that your word would continue to work in our hearts, to fill us with truth, Lord, when we are faced with so many lies in this world, lies that come from the outside but also from within. Lord, that we would hold tightly in our hearts the knowledge that we are a chosen people and that we have been brought into an intimate relationship with you all because you desired it and it was and Christ made it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.